Hey guys, we wanted to be sure and start this episode off with a trigger warning. While we won't be going into the details, this episode will have many references to sexual assault, so please listen at your own discretion. Thank you. with Amaris and Soto. And today on Baking a Murderer, we're going to be talking about Dean Arnold Coral, aka the Candyman. Dean Arnold Coral was a quiet, shy boy who seldom interacted with his peers. As an adult, he served in the U.S. Army and helped run his family's candy business. He was well-liked by everyone in the neighborhood that he called home. Little did the community know, Dean was a cold-blooded serial killer whose sole intention of befriending young boys around town was to torture, rape, and murder them. Coral was born December 24, 1939, to Mary Emma and Arnold Edwin Coral. He was the first of two boys. He had a very strict father and a very protective mother. His parents fought a lot and later divorced in 1946. Mary then relocated to Memphis, Tennessee, where Arnold had been drafted for the U.S. Air Force, so that the boys could have regular contact with their father. Dean's parents attempted to reconcile their differences and remarried in 1950. The marriage, however, was short-lived and they divorced again in 1953. The mom got full custody of the boys, but they still had regular contact with their dad. Mary Emma later met and married a clock salesman named Jake West. They moved to Vider, Texas and had a little girl named Joyce in 1955. The family started a candy company called Pecan Prince, which operated out of their garage. The brothers worked day and night while attending school, operating the machinery and packaging the candy for Jake to sell on his sales route. That would take him west to Houston, where much of the product was sold. Dean went to Vider High School from 1954 to 1958. He was very well behaved, he had decent grades, and was in a brass band where he played trombone. He was still a little bit of a loner, but he dated girls occasionally. Coral graduated from high school in 1958. His family moved to Houston to be closer to their clientele, where they opened up a shop called Pecan Prince. In 1960, he moved to Indiana to live with his widowed grandmother. He formed a close relationship with a local girl there, but rejected her marriage proposal in 1962. He lived in Indiana for almost two years, but returned to Houston in 1962 to help with the candy business. He moved into an apartment above the candy shop. Mary divorced Jake West in 1963 and opened a new candy company called Coral Candy Company. Dean was the vice president and Stanley, his little brother, was the secretary treasurer. The same year, one of the teenage boys they employed complained to Mary that Dean had made sexual advances towards him. Mary fired the teenager. Can we just talk about how if someone accuses your son of making sexual advances and you just fire them instead of taking it seriously, you're a garbage person. Yeah. Like, what the heck? That's so messed up. These were teenagers. And Dean was well into his adult years by now. Yeah. That just made me really mad. She could have stopped it like right then. 
Because he hadn't done anything yet. He was just starting. He was just flirting to, with this Yeah, kid. to flirt. And if she had taken it seriously, she I could have stopped it all. Didn't. She probably, A, didn't want to acknowledge the fact that her son could be gay. Oh, yeah. Because this was That's the true. 60s. And B, probably that was it. <laughs> she didn't want to acknowledge that her son was gay. Oh, my God. It's like, just come on, parents. Him. Just figure him. it out. Figure it out. Coral was drafted into the U.S. Army on August 10th, 1964, in Fort Polk, Louisiana. His time in the military was unblemished, but he hated military service and applied for a hardship discharge on the grounds that he was needed in his family's business. The Army granted him an honorable discharge on June 11, 1965, only 10 months after his service. Yeah, can we just talk about how crazy that is? Because literally this was during the Vietnam War. So they super needed men to be fighting this war. And after 10 months of service, he was able to persuade the U.S. military to let him go home to run his candy business. <laughs> like, and the war didn't end until 1975. 75. So how persuasive and charming was this man to what? be able to persuade the, the military, military, the government, <laughs> like, what? This is crazy. Reportedly, Quirrell told some of his close acquaintances after his release that he was gay and had his first homosexual encounters in the military. Quirrell returned to Houston to help run the candy company. The shop relocated across the street from an elementary school where Quirrell would pass out free candy to the children. Um, Ick. That's creepy. No. And that is why... Inappropriate. We today are now afraid of people giving us candy. He was given the nicknames The Candyman and The Pied Piper. The company employed a small workforce, and he was seen behaving flirtatiously towards several teenage male employees. He even installed a pool table at the rear of the candy factory, where employees and local youths would congregate. In 1967, Coral befriended 12-year-old David Owen Brooks. Okay, he's a sixth grader. Okay, who Coral gave candy to, Brooks became one of the many youthful companions of Coral's, regularly socializing with him in the teens next to the pool table in the back of their candy factory. He also joined Coral on regular trips he took south to the South Texas beaches, guys, with various other youths. I'm sorry, what? This sixth grader was permitted by a parent... To go on trips with this grown man to beaches? Not just him, but other kids like, as well. where are these parents? I want to just slap these parents. I'm sorry. I, like, know, I know it's the 60s, but like not any kind of concern at all. Like at all. What? This is just mind, mind blowing to me. Okay, please go on. Okay. He later commented... That Coral was one of the first adult males who did not mock his appearance. That makes me really sad. Yeah. As a sixth grader, like, what, what adults, adults are making fun of this kid? Just what? Terrible. Coral okay. <laughs> gave Brooks money anytime he needed it. Brooks began to see Coral as like a father figure because mm. he was the only one really around. Later on, a sexual relationship gradually developed in 1969 at the urging of Coral. Coral would pay Brooks in cash or gifts to allow him to perform fellatio on the youth. 
What the actual hell? Like, this was so infuriating. First of all, it made me really mad that the articles I was reading said sexual relationship when referring to a grown man and a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm sorry. He was 14 at this time. Like, I'm. that's still so young. Um, and, and, like, so this was officially his first victim. He sexually assaulted him, and that is just horrible. Brooke's parents were divorced. His father lived in Houston and his mother in Beaumont, Texas, which is actually where my husband's family is from, like originally. (laughs) In the last episode, we talked about Indiana, which they live now, but this is where they actually were from. So anyways, in 1970, when Brooks was 15, he dropped out of high school and moved to live with his mother. Whenever he visited his father, he would regularly stay in Coral's apartment. Later that year, he moved back to Houston and regarded Coral's apartment as his second home. What? No words. Just... He's 15, you guys. What mother? Oh, well, he's staying with his dad, right, who is in Houston. So this dad must have been just a real piece of crap because he's letting him stay with this man who he probably doesn't even know in his apartment. What? I just, I just can't. I just can't. Coral's mother and sister moved to Colorado after the failure of her third marriage and the closing down of the family candy company in 1968. She spoke to him often on the phone, but never saw him again. Coral began work as an electrician. He worked for Houston Lighting and Power Company until the day he was killed by Elmer Wayne Henley. Dun, dun, dun. Good. Thank you. Between 1970 and 1973, Coral is known to have killed a minimum of 28 young men ages 13 13 to 20. 20. God. Most were abducted from Houston Heights, a low-income neighborhood. Most of the abductions were assisted by one or both of his teenage accomplices, Elmer Wayne Henley and David Owen Brooks. Several victims were friends of either or both accomplices. Others were acquaintances of Coral's, and two others, Billy Balch and Gregory Malley Winkle, were former employees of the Coral Candy Company. His victims were usually lured into one of two vehicles, actually three vehicles. He owned a Ford Econoline, a Ford Econoline, and a Plymouth GTX. He also had a 1969 Chevy Corvette that he did not deserve. It was green. It was beautiful. We'll get more into that one later. He pretty much would tell the boys he could give them a lift somewhere or take them to a party. His victims would be taken to his house and given copious amounts of alcohol or drugs until they passed out or until he tricked them into putting on handcuffs or if none of those did it. He grabbed them by force. They would be stripped naked, tied to either Cole's bed, or usually a plywood torture board, which was regularly hung on a wall. The victims would be sexually assaulted, beaten, tortured, and after several days, killed by strangulation or shooting with a 22 pistol. Bodies would be wrapped in plastic sheeting and buried in one of four places. A rented boat shed, a beach on the Bolivar Peninsula, 
a woodland near Lake Sam Rayburn where his family owned a cabin or a beach in Jefferson County. In several instances, Coral forced his victims to either phone or write to their parents with explanations of their absences. In an effort to allay the parents' fears, he also retained keepsakes, usually keys from his victims. So when I was initially researching this case, I was so confused as to why these parents weren't filing missing persons reports on their Mm -hmm. kids sooner and why no one was looking for them. But then when I read that, I just got really sad because I thought about being one of those boys and literally have already probably been assaulted and Mm -hmm. tortured. And then I'm being forced to either have a phone conversation with my parents and tell them that I'm okay when I'm not, or have to like actually write a letter to them. And you're knowing when doing that, that you're like totally taking away any chance of being saved. It just made me so sad. During the years of these abductions, Coral often changed addresses. However, until he moved to Pasadena in the spring of 1973, he always lived close to Houston Heights. His first murder was Jeffrey Conan in September 25th, 1970. He was just hitchhiking, guys. Mm. He just needed a ride. (sighs) Around the same time of Conan's murder, Brooks walked in on Coral sexually assaulting two teenage boys that he had tied to his bed. Coral promised him a car in exchange for his silence. Brooks accepted his offer, and Coral later bought him that Chevy Corvette. That green Chevy Corvette. Mm Mm-hmm. Brooks was later told by Coral that the two youths had been murdered and he was offered $200 for every boy he could lure into Coral's apartment. $200. And a Corvette. Per life. Like when you think about it like that. And he knew that he was murdering these boys and he still accepted the $200. On one hand, I feel really bad for Brooks because... He started to be, like, abused at 12. Yeah. So he's been probably brainwashed by Coral for years and looks up to him and loves him. He doesn't have a family. But still, there are so many people who go through horrible times. There are so many people who are abused and don't end up murderers or abusers. Like, you don't have to relive your past, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a monster. So that's why, like, on one hand, I feel bad. On the other hand, I'm like, no. People people go through things all the time and don't turn into monsters. Yeah. Elmer Wayne Henley was lured to Coral's address in the winter of 1971 as a victim. But Coral believed he would make a good accomplice. So he offered him $200 per boy that he could bring to Coral. Coral told Henley that he was a part of a, quote, white slavery ring that operated out out of Dallas, Texas. He at first ignored the offer, but later accepted as his family was struggling financially. So let me get this straight. He is abducted. He is taken to this guy's address. The guy then says, never mind, not going to rape and kill you. I want you to help me do the same to other boys. But don't worry, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to sell them into a slavery ring. And he's like, mm. not now, but maybe later. And then he's like, oh, 
actually, my family needs money, money. right now. So I'm going to do this. And I, they keep on mentioning, like, as if to make it seem like Henley was a better person. Um, they keep on saying, like, well, he didn't know that Coral was going to rape and murder them. He thought that they were being sold into slavery. And I'm like, is that really better? No. Because then they said that he even believed that it was sex slavery. So for $200 a person, he has agreed to bring young boys to Coral's apartment, knowing that or thinking that they're going to be sold into sex slavery. Brooks stated that Henley was especially sadistic in participation of the murders. At one point, Henley knocked Brooks unconscious as he entered the house. Coral then tied Brooks to the bed and assaulted the youth repeatedly before releasing him. Despite the assault, Brooks continued to assist Coral in the abductions of victims. I feel so bad for Brooks. I know that he knows what he's into right now. Yeah. But... But also, at this point, he's so... He's essentially living with Coral. Uh, He's probably so afraid for his life. If he backs out, like, he knows that Coral will just murder him. Kill him, him, yeah. Because this is what he's doing to him even when he's on his side. So I really do feel bad for Brooks and I I just can't even imagine um yeah what his life must have been like. This other guy, Henley, I don't feel bad for him though. <laughs> he seems like a monster. In July 1973, David Brooks married his pregnant fiance and Henley temporarily became the sole producer of victims. So David is essentially leading a seemingly normal life outside of capturing boys for Coral to assault and murder as a pregnant fiance and actually gets married, which all just seems crazy. I don't know how I could have a relationship with someone knowing what I was doing. On the evening of August 8th, 1973, Henley, who was 17 at the time, invited a 19-year-old boy named Timothy Cordell Curley to attend a party at Coral's Pasadena residence. Curley, who was a casual acquaintance of Coral's, was intended to be his next victim and accepted the offer. David Brooks was not present at the time. The two youths arrived at Coral's and sniffed paint fumes and drank alcohol until midnight when they left to go get sandwiches. During one of their stops, they picked up 15-year-old Rhonda Williams, who was beaten by her drunk father that evening and wanted to get away from the house until he sobered up. Henley invited her to stay at Coral's for the night. When they arrived back at the house, Coral was furious that Henley had brought a girl into his house. He said, quote, you ruined everything. Henley explained to Coral what had happened earlier that night with William's father, and that seemed to calm him down. He then offered the teens marijuana and alcohol. The three drank, smoked, and puffed paint fumes with Coral watching. After approximately two hours, they each passed out. Henley awoke to find himself lying on his stomach and Coral snapping handcuffs to his wrists. His mouth had been taped shut and his ankles had been bound together. Curly and Williams lay beside him, securely bound with nylon rope, gagged and lying face down on the floor. Curly had been stripped naked. Seeing that Henley had awoken, he removed the tape from his mouth. 
Henley protested to being tied up, and Coral said, Man, you blew it bringing that girl, before shouting, I'm going to kill you all, but first, I'm going to have my fun. He then kicked Williams several times in the chest, before dragging Henley into the kitchen and threatening him with a gun. Henley promised to help with the torture and murder if Coral let him go. Coral eventually agreed and untied him. The two victims were tied up on the torture board. Henley was instructed to assault Williams while Coral assaulted Curly. Curly and Williams woke up as the assault began. Williams looked at Henley and said, Is this for real? Henley said, Yes. And she said, Are you going to do anything about it? Henley asked if he could take Williams into another room, which Coral totally ignored. Henley grabbed the pistol and said, You've gone far enough. I can't go any longer. I can't have you kill my friends. Coral approached Henry saying, Kill me, Wayne. You won't do it. Henley then fired at Coral, hitting him in the head but not puncturing his skull. Coral continued toward Henley and fired again, hitting him in the shoulder. Coral ran out of the room, hitting the wall of the hallway. Henley fired three additional bullets into his lower back as Coral slid down the wall. Coral died where he fell. Henley released the teenagers from the torture boards. They all got dressed and called the police. The police arrived to find the three teenagers outside with the pistol on the driveway. And inside, they found a dead and naked Dean Coral laying on the floor. Henley was arrested on the spot for murdering Coral. He explained to the police that it had been self-defense. Once they went to trial, he was not charged with murder of Dean Coral. However, he did receive six life sentences for the murders he had committed. Brooks was also sentenced with life in prison. When the sentence was announced, he showed no emotion, but his wife immediately burst into tears. Brooks and Henley are currently still serving out their life sentences here in Texas. They both helped police uncover almost all of the bodies. There were 28 in total, but there's believed to be 29 or more. Okay, so that was the story of Dean Arnold Coral, The Candyman. The Candyman. It was really sad. It was yeah. really hard to get through. That was rough for us. Um, Researching this one, it just, it was a lot to take in, honestly. I feel pretty... Down? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to, like, erase my search history now. That too. And I want to have a drink and eat cake. <gasps> cake? What kind of cake are we having? Well, we are actually having a cake that was very famous in the 1970s, which is a good old-fashioned pineapple upside-down cake. One of my favorite cakes. Love I it. I know. You love it. I love it. I know. Because it's, so it's so good. It's so good, and it's so happy. <laughs> so hopefully it'll yeah. help. So we are going to go cut a piece. We'll come back and then we'll tell you guys um, about our recipe, where you can find it, and also where you can find us. So be right back. Okay, so we are currently washing away all of our sadness by eating this pineapple upside down cake. Yeah, that's really good. 
Uh, I would say it's better than good. It's really moist. Oh. And uh, I know a lot of people don't like that oh, word. I'm M so word. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's only acceptable when talking about baked goods. Yes. Honestly, so, guys, the pictures for these, can't wait to post them. So cute. There will be one on the story day of recording. Yes. And then we'll give you more information on that on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So the recipe will definitely be uploaded along with this episode to our website, which is bakingamurdererpod.com. You can also find us on Instagram at bakingamurdererpod or on Facebook at bakingamurderer. Thank you guys for sticking with us through this difficult episode. Uh, it was definitely a doozy. Yes, it was. Um, if you guys end up making this cake afterwards like we did to um, eat away your sorrows, please tag us in the pictures of the cake on Instagram and Facebook and wherever else. And please share this episode as well as last week's episode with your friends. Thank you guys so much for Thank listening. You. We really appreciate you. Bye. Bye. This recipe was so easy. Why is it so good? They knew how to do it in the 70s. Bake cakes and murder people. How many eggs? One. I just used egg replacer. If it doesn't have 30, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> we had that on there. <laughs>